This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. So much of what we see in discourse around the country right now is rooted in causes. You have to pick a cause, you see. You have to find something to publicly support. You don't have to know anything about it. You don't have to actually understand the issue. In fact, you don't even have to be correct in what you say. You just have to say the things you're told to by the woke, by the left, by the Democrats and their control of of institutions all across the country. And then you're safe and maybe even you get benefits. Maybe there's an upside to this. But don't question anything. Don't think that you're supposed to get to the facts with any of it. No, of course not. You pick a cause based upon what it does for you, how it makes you feel to be on the side of that cause. And the Georgia election law, this is, of course, if you're woke, if you're a leftist, the Georgia election law is a perfect example of this. Um, And you're seeing it all over social media and now I'm just telling you, it's, it's only a matter of time before they start pulling out the fact checks. They, they start making it necessary for you to, to tow the party line here about the Georgia election and what's going on there. Uh, Georgia election laws before they start saying that it's misinformation or disinformation and shutting you down because social media sites, as you know, have picked a side. Uh, They want to silence and remove any voices the left does not agree with. Twitter and Facebook told us in the early days they were open platforms. But I know that's not true because I have to deal with this. And I don't want their content moderators acting like the op-ed section of the New York Times. So instead of letting social media sites revoke your right to free speech online, how about you take action and revoke their right to your data? Now, you could just deactivate all your social media accounts, but that would give the left what they want. So instead, do this. Get ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN anonymizes much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. I've got it on my phone. I've got it on my devices. Very straightforward. It encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and Internet bad guys. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's right. You'll get an extra three months free of service at expressvpn.com slash buck. Go right now. This is a must. You have to have this on your devices. Expressvpn.com slash buck to protect your data and protect your privacy today. Well, they may insist on calling her Dr. Jill Biden, but she definitely is not getting a doctorate in Spanish language anytime soon. Here she is at a ceremony in California. Governor Newsom there talking about workers' rights, stuff like that. And she had this to share with America. The first lady, play it. So say it with me. See, say quadre. The future is ours. Thank you. See, say, Poidway. It's amazing. I don't even speak Spanish. I know that's not right. I know that's not correct. You know, this is this is great. Oh, man. I love it when either politicians or politician spouses 
pander so shamelessly and can't even pander well. You know, Cisse Broadway. Oh, man. Yes. Well, apparently, no, no puede, actually. <laughs> apparently, she can't pull it off. Can't manage to say it. But look, these days, as you know, the entire media is going full scale, full tilt, all in, pedal to the metal to support the agenda of this Biden administration. Because just like getting Biden elected was one massive game of pretending that he wasn't going to be who he actually is as president. Now they've got to rush. Then they had to make sure that that went quickly, that, that they could just shut down all the dissenting voices and go to the send people to the election thinking, yeah, he's a moderate Joe Biden. You can trust good old Joe. We know that was all a, a facade. That was all a front to fraud. Now they're trying to get as much of the agenda passed as quickly as possible before the American people can really see what's going on and figure out what's happening. It reminds me very much of the Obama administration. We are living in a replay of Obamaism with Biden as the figurehead. That's what's happening right now in the country. That's what's actually going on. And that's why they're pushing so much for the agenda right now to be massive, sweeping, long-term, structural, trillions and trillions of dollars. And while that's going on, there's also these act. And I'll get into the spending package and all that in, in, a, in a moment. But in the meantime, they're also trying to get people emotionally focused on an issue. They got to get the activists, the media. They have to activate the institutions of Democrat control wherever they can. And corporations now, as, as you know, it was, I think, in the past that the companies, major companies across the country were uh, afraid of the left. That, that's actually changed now. I think this is very important. It's not just that companies are afraid of the left. That's the that's the old model, the old mentality. There are a lot of companies right now, and I mean the biggest ones. I'm talking Amazon, Facebook, Google, Twitter, Nike, you name it, Delta Airlines. There are a lot of companies that 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, would have taken public action on an issue of of politics on on some policy matter usually with a politically correct component to it because they were afraid of boycotts or, or being attacked. But those companies, first of all, are essentially, I mean, talking about Amazon, it's boycott proof. At least it feels like it is right now. Uh, same thing for the tech monopolists like Google and, uh, and Facebook. Uh, so it's not that they're afraid of the woke. They have been infiltrated by the woke and are now controlled from the inside, right? So it, the old paradigm was big company bends the knee to wokeness, pays off the activists, you know, gives uh, pays lip service to critical race theory or to uh, you know diversity and inclusion worship or whatever, because they don't want to have outside forces coming after them. Now those same mentalities or th those same approaches from the activist class are from within the companies and sometimes at the very top. Sometimes it is the CEO or the CFO now who believes this stuff, because it's not just the fear of being on the wrong side of wokeness that motivates companies. 
It's now also the inducements. It's the benefits, the upside of taking these positions. You're now a celebrated hero in the New York Times. You're now somebody that beautiful Hollywood celebrities tweet in support of and say what great leadership you're showing, right? I mean, if you're a really rich guy in your in your 50s or your 60s, you're already worth tens of millions of dollars. You're the CEO of Nike. You're the CEO. You're worth billions of dollars if you're the CEO of Amazon or or Apple. Well, what do you really want? You want your peers to think well of you. And that means going along with the woke mob. And that's what we're seeing right now in Georgia. That's the situation as it plays out before us. Now, in case anyone's wondering, um, you've already had Major League Baseball now threaten to move the All-Star game from this July from the state of Georgia to punish the state. You've also had the CEO of Coca-Cola denounce the bill. You've had Delta Airlines CEO denounce the bill. And this has turned into one of these things where if you're somebody who just has a has a passing interest or familiarity with politics, what you say in response to all this is, well, I, I just want to go along with the mob. I don't I don't want to stand to thwart this. I don't want to try to stop it. I'm just going to say, yeah, that's right. What they said. Here's what's really going on. SB 202 in Georgia, the Election Integrity Act, is under withering assault from the Democrats, from the left, from the establishment of authoritarian Democrat control. Withering assault. And you have some of the, the biggest companies and the most powerful institutions in America that are treating this like it's, it's awful. Um, this is a, a stain on our country's history. Here's the truth about what's going on. Um, they're putting in place some election integrity measures that are entirely sensible and, if anything, are likely to expand voting and make voting easier, more secure, and more straightforward in the state of Georgia. But what does Joe Biden say about that? He was on uh, he was in an interview recently on ESPN. He, he said, quote, this is Jim Crow on steroids, what they're doing in Georgia. I mean, really bringing up a, a horrible part of America's past with the efforts to the, the legal system, the regime of disenfranchising black voters in the South. I mean, comparing this to Jim Crow, actually, it's worse than Jim Crow. That's what on steroids means. He's saying it's worse than Jim Crow. Uh, this is this is utterly reckless demagoguery. Joe Biden, this really isn't that complicated. Joe Biden is lying because people are emotional about this issue and because the activists are raising money and getting attention and increasing their power. So he's being what he's always been, a Democrat phony who will say whatever he has to say in the moment to get whatever he wants. That's what's going on. It is inexcusable for the president of the United States, for anyone involved in this issue, but particularly for the president of the United States, to say something like this is Jim Crow on steroids. It's a it's a reckless thing. But remember, Joe Biden's the guy who said, quote, going to put y'all back in chains and quote, right? Joe Biden is a buffoon. And it's shameful that the Democrats have put this guy in the role of the presidency under the promise that he was going to be a uniter. There's nothing uniting about this guy. Nothing. 
He doesn't unite us at all. That's that's all nonsense. There's no outreach. There's no down the middle. There's no fair minded. He's just a tool for the left. And he's doing exactly what they want him to. Here's what SB 202, which is called the Election Integrity Act, although I know they're calling it Jim Crow 2.0 in Democrat circles. It mandates two Saturdays of early voting. You can also add two Sundays locally. So all that stuff about how it bans voting on Sundays to punish black churches, that's a lie. You can add two Sundays of, of voting if you want. But it also adds two Saturdays of early voting. It requires voter ID for absentee voting. That's just common sense. Voter ID is required for in-person voting. Why wouldn't it be required for absentee voting? And Georgia has no explanation absentee voting, unlike, say, the state of Delaware, where Joe Biden was a senator, where Joe Biden's from, which requires a reason. So Georgia's already pretty, pretty lax on some of these things. It mandates drop boxes and says that they will be secured around the clock. It protects the polling place from electioneering. This is the other you've heard. They don't want black churches to be able to to take people to the polls on Sunday, which is that's not true. That's not what the law does. And then they say it prevents people in line from getting water. Okay, first of all, it prevents people from getting food and drinks in line as they're ready to vote. It doesn't stop the polling place from providing water, which is fine. If people want to drink a water in line, what it does is prevents people from saying, hey, vote Biden. Here's a Big Mac. Hey, vote, you know, Trump. Here's uh, some French fries. You know, I mean, whatever. It stops that from happening. Within 150 feet of the precinct, election officials may provide water, okay? Beyond 150 feet, private individuals may provide food, water for voters, but it's just saying there's an area in which they don't want people to get pressured right before they go in to vote with inducements or gifts or anything else. Nothing in this is unfair. Nothing in this is discriminatory. It's all universally applicable within the scope of the law, constitutional. But Democrats are calling it Jim Crow 2.0. Democrats like Joe Biden are calling it Jim Crow on steroids. Shameless stuff. Shameless. But they have to keep this sense of a pseudo moral high ground going. Because on the one hand, they've got us all focused on this and the activists and the Hollywood celebrities and professional athletes or, oh, Georgia, look what's going on in Georgia. And on the other hand, the Biden administration is getting ready to completely destroy the economic recovery that we should have coming out of the covid pandemic and just turn it into a massive excuse for socialism. That's right. Socialism through economic planning. That would that looks like something you would have expected coming out of an authoritarian regime 50 years ago. That's what it's looking like right now. But they don't want you to focus on that. They want you to talk about how racist Georgia's completely not racist law is. New Jersey has been leading the way with automatic voter registration, with having the foresight and the humility to understand that redemption for those who've come out of our Prisons and jails must include a reintroduction into the full measure of citizenship. As someone who's not only fought for voting rights, 
but has been working hard on the census. Your actions taken to address prison gerrymandering are crucial because we cannot build a stronger society if we do not include the needs of every person. And that's the fundamental premise of democracy. Not that we get everything we want, but that we deserve to have a say in the direction of our nation, in the direction of our states, and in the direction of our communities. And when democracy is undermined by laws that we have seen passed, not only in Georgia, but in Iowa, and laws that are under consideration in Arizona, in Texas, in New Hampshire, in Florida, in 43 states across this country, we are seeing an onslaught, an attack on democracy. Blather. Flowery language. Blather from the fake governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams, right, still claims that she won. Isn't it amazing? Democrats put forward a person who still refuses to concede that she lost a free and fair election for the last uh, governor's race in Georgia. And she's the national spokesperson, in a sense, for the Democrat Party when it comes to election law in Georgia and across the country. An assault on our democracy, right? Very, very emotionally charged phrases. What is the assault on the democracy exactly? Oh, people have to walk 100 feet to get food and drink at a polling station now? Uh, 150 feet, I'm sorry. Oh, no. That's, that's a, a terrible assault on democracy. Think of all the people that'll, be, that'll just be dying of starvation in the voting line. If only someone had gotten them a sandwich, they might have made it, been able to cast their ballot, but they had to wait 15 or 20 minutes for that sandwich. Oh, no. This is what we're up against, friends. This is the kind of argument that we're seeing happening now all the time. And it doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter what the reality is. And that's why, you know, someone like uh, like Marco Rubio, I I don't think he really understands. Little Marco doesn't really understand what we're up against here. He doesn't understand the, the way the new left approaches the game, because as I keep telling you, hypocrisy is not something that embarrasses the Democrats of the left. They don't care. The fact that they can treat you one way and their friends another way is evidence of their power. They like it. So, I mean, here's how Marco Rubio speaks about the Delta CEO speaking out about the Georgia law. Play two. So Delta Airlines are business partners with the Chinese Communist Party, the same Chinese Communist Party that is committing genocide against Uyghur Muslims inside of China. So... I look forward to a letter today from their CEO telling everyone that what the Chinese Communist Party is doing with genocide is unacceptable. I look forward to that letter saying that genocide does not reflect the values of Delta Airlines. Of course, they're not going to send that letter, nor is Coca-Cola, nor is any of these other corporations that are out there proving to the world how woke they are, because they are woke corporate hypocrites. That's what they are. They're woke corporate hypocrites. They make billions of dollars in a country that doesn't even have elections. They make billions of dollars working with a country that has no respect for anyone or anything. And they don't say a word about it. But in America, they're prepared to boycott a state and condemn them publicly to show and prove how woke they are. They're hypocrites, complete and total hypocrites. They don't care, Marco. Now, I'm not saying it's never worth pointing out the hypocrisy because at least it's a reminder for all of us that, yes, there are a bunch of frauds, but calling them hypocrites is not going to change a thing. They're in a position of power. People are still going to fly Delta, even though they do business in China. People in this country don't care enough. It's not going to change anything. 
the CEO of Coca-Cola speaking out against the Georgia election law is going to get him high fives and support from his corporate board. It's going to get him social support. You know, when he goes to his probably, you know, half a million dollar a year golf uh, golf membership club and, and decides he's hanging out with the other rich people, they're all say, yeah, that's right. Standing up for democracy, man. I mean, they this is what the rich adopt the mores and cultural positions and political positions that benefit them in America today. Doesn't everyone see that? The elites don't want to go with ideas that are actually problematic for them. The elites want to be loved. They want to be revered. They already have money. They already have influence. So they want they want people to think that they're the good people. That's why virtue signaling is so seductive. It's so powerful. So calling them hypocrites doesn't really do anything. It doesn't matter. We have to make them stop. We have to meet their power with other power or else it just continues on. Or we can keep whining about how they're frauds when it comes to China, which is true, but it won't change a damn thing. It's just amazing to see how many news outlets are all pretty much saying the same thing about this enormous Biden infrastructure plan, Biden's great green leap forward. Amazing to see how this is playing out. Um, but it shouldn't be surprising at all because increasingly the Internet is turning into an echo chamber. They are they are strangling conservative opinions every day. This is this is actually happening. I mean, I'm suffering from it right now. I deal with this all the time, and I know other people do, too. I just had a friend who was banned from Facebook. He didn't even do anything wrong. I saw what he posted. It wasn't it wasn't him. He was posting what someone else said about something to show. Look at how crazy the left is and still got got banned. So you can't actually rely on the Internet to be a free, fair platform for the exchange of ideas. So you need to find places where that can actually happen. You have to actually seek out those places online where you can share your thoughts and you can have like minded people that you can reach out to. Because if you've tried to share your political opinions on social media, you know it's hard to have a civil conversation. It's hard to have a conversation that won't get shut down by the social media censors. That's why I want to tell you about caucusroom.com. This is a social media network exclusively for conservatives. Caucus Room is an online community for conservatives to gather and engage locally. Only real people who are verified conservatives, this is critical, can become Caucus Room members. But Caucus Room will never share your information with anyone ever. The sign-up process ensures you're communicating with real conservatives in your neighborhood, no bots or trolls. It's a great way to get engaged on issues where you can make the biggest difference locally. At Caucus Room, you can participate in live virtual meetings that are so secure, the platform played host to over a dozen virtual Republican Party conventions this year. Also, share news, jokes, and find ways to get involved with causes near you without the fear of Silicon Valley overlords stopping you. Join the Buck Sexton Listeners Group right now. That's right. We've got a Buck Sexton Listeners Group on caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M, caucusroom.com. Join the Buck Sexton Listeners Group to interact with other listeners just like you. So today, I'm proposing a plan for the nation that rewards work, not just rewards wealth. It builds a fair economy that gives everybody a chance to succeed. And it's going to create the strongest, most resilient, innovative economy in the world. It's not a plan that tinkers around the edges. It's a once-in-a-generation investment 
in America. Unlike anything we've seen or done since we built the interstate highway system and the space race decades ago. In fact, it's the largest American jobs investment since World War II. It will create millions of jobs, good-paying jobs. It will grow the economy, make us more competitive around the world, promote our national security interests, and put us in a position to win the global competition with China in the upcoming years. It's big, yes. It's bold, yes. And we can get it done. It has two parts. The American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan. Big, bold blather from Biden. That's what you have here. Well, this is going to make everything so much better. We're going to be more competitive on, in the global marketplace because Biden and his team of Obama reruns, you know, the people around him that just are, are people from the Obama era who were not good at running an economy, right? A lot of regulation, a lot of taxation. Oh, yeah. Obamacare. People love that so much. Right. It was all all so remarkable what they did. All the things that he's talking about here involve government usurping uh, the rights of people to their private property. It involves government taking from some and giving to others the redistribution of wealth. It involves government making enormous decisions. I mean, enormously consequential decisions about what kind of spending will occur, who will get what money, what industries will be supported, and what industries will be crushed. And if you right now are somebody who works in fossil fuels, you've got to think, okay, so this is going to be bad for my industry, and it certainly is. Um, The New York Times and others, I mean, the the major journals of left-wing opinion that pretend to be news organizations, CNN, they're all on board for this. This is the the Biden transformation plan. You know, we haven't even think about this. We haven't gotten past the pandemic and people are starting to realize, okay, well, if if the argument is going to be that the vaccines are imperfect, which is true, and that there could always be additional strains, which is true. And that means that you have to obey our, our rules and mask mandates and everything now, because 90% effectiveness, 95% effectiveness, whatever is not enough. It never goes away, folks. We all understand this, right? This doesn't go. There's no such thing as 100 percent safety from this virus ever. That's not happening, at least not not for years and years to come. That's not going to be reality. So instead of focusing on actually getting us out of this thing, and I'm sitting here as somebody who still has covid doing this show right now, I mean, pretty much out of it now, but close to the very end. um, And I'm telling you. They're talking about what a great job they've done on vaccinations. If you try to get a vaccination appointment now in New York City, good luck. Spend hours and hours online. And and yet they're doing campaigns about vaccine hesitancy. Okay, someone explain to me, I can't get a vaccine even if I want to in the next 90 days, which I'm going to wait, obviously, because I have built in immunity now from having had the virus. But I do want to get the vaccine at some point and I can't get one. But the government is so worried about people that refuse to get one. I, I'm sitting here saying, what about those of us that actually want to get it and can't get it? Do, do we, does anyone care about us? I'm just wondering, you know, do, do we get any say in this? But instead of focusing on that and getting businesses back up and running, look at what they're doing. I mean, look, look at how 
how just breathtakingly brazen this situation is. Their focus immediately turns to how can they leverage this crisis for maximum impact? How can they leverage this moment to get as much as they want out of it? Never let a crisis go to waste. Rahm Emanuel under the Obama administration, the White House chief of staff. That is how the left, that's how the Democrats do everything now. Keep people afraid, keep them angry, make them feel like terrible things will happen unless the left has full control and power to do whatever it needs to. That's where we are. And you can just see it. We haven't we haven't recovered from covid yet. Not even close. The economy is shaky. Uh, You know, there's a a lot of people that are wondering, you know, what's going to happen now going forward as as we spend. We've already spent trillions and trillions of dollars to try to keep ourselves afloat here. There's discussing another round, perhaps, of direct payments to individuals. I mean, we got a long way to go. And that could actually be something if I saw the Biden administration taking action that was really just meant to deal with this pandemic, to get us out of the situation, out of this circumstance in ways that are just objectively good and smart. I'd feel a whole lot better about things and I would say it, but no, instead they immediately have have transitioned because they know they got to do it all now. They're worried already about the, the midterms and they should be because of the crisis at the border and because the more Americans know about Democrat policies in practice, not the theories, not what the pollsters gather before the policy goes into effect, the more the American people actually feel the effects of the central planning that the Democrats, that the Biden-Harris administration or the Harris-Biden administration is planning, the less they like it, the less they want more of it. So people have forgotten. It was four years. We had Trump and we've had this pandemic now for a year and people have forgotten what it means when you have, when you had, say, the Obama administration in charge and what were some of the truths of the Obama administration? You had the uh, you had the slowest recovery out of a recession since the Great Depression. So the weakest recovery ever, slowest recovery ever. You had the all time high set for food stamps usage, which is a which is a very useful metric of economic health because it's a real number that you can see and that it's unlike the inflation statistics and things that there's a lot of shenanigans around massaging the numbers i mean snap or situ- uh, supplemental nutritional assistance program is a number that you can see and is real and it's based on the actual data and was very high as we know especially the first four years of the obama administration you had a tremendous amount of spending i mean the amount of federal spending that occurred under the obama administration was unprecedented and now we're about to see another round of unprecedented they're gonna they're gonna make what, what was spent under the obama administration look like look like nothing That's the game plan here, just doubling down on all those things they did before and hoping that they can use the institutions that are in that are controlled by the left and the wokeness and the the socialists. And remember, a lot of people that advocate for socialism, in fact, a lot of people who have been the leaders of socialist movements in the past are very rich. They're they're very uh, powerful and influential and live these incredibly elite lives themselves. They just want socialism for all of you, right? You have to pay for the health care for the illegal immigrants coming across the border right now by the by the hundreds of thousands. You, know, you have to pay 
to support the Green New Deal policies of this uh, Biden administration, even though if there was real money to be made here, folks, don't we think that the green energy sector would just be flourishing on its own and wouldn't need all these government handouts all the time? But they have to do this as quickly as possible, because if people figure out what's really happening, what's really going on, they will start. And when I say they, 30 percent of America, unfortunately, is, is, is essentially lost to us ideologically. I mean, maybe it's more like 40 percent, but 30 percent is just they're wacko, They're wackos. They they think that CNN speaks the truth. They think the New York Times is fair. They think that, you know, putting your pronouns on your uh, LinkedIn bio or announcing your pronouns every time you're on a work Zoom call or something is is rational and reasonable. They think that when CNN, I mean, this was amazing. CNN recently had at the bottom of a news story that there was there is no uh, there is no clearly defined metric for assessing gender at birth. I mean, I thought it was girls have them and guys have them. You know, I, I thought we kind of knew what the difference was. I, I thought that had been established for a long time. Apparently, I don't read enough CNN. I'm not woke enough. There's no way to know the difference between them and them. You can't know. I guess I could say those things on radio, but I just feel like, you know, family show. And I don't want any of you that have young ones running around saying, Buck on the radio said girls have a blank and boys have a blank. You know, so I'm trying to for the parents out there, I'm trying to make this an easier day for you. I don't want them running around screaming what I say on the radio. But I, I think we know the difference between male and female. I, I really do. I think that we we have established this for a long time. But that makes me a problem now. Now, now I'm a bad person for saying that. Now I'm somebody that isn't sensitive enough, isn't isn't kind enough, doesn't understand this new civil rights struggle of uh, of non non-binary gender rights or whatever. I don't the, the language is constantly changing, too. You see how this is all meant. To, it's all emotional and it's meant to control. It's meant to control people. You're not allowed to ask questions. Wokeness hates asking of actual questions. You do what you are told. And when you start to see how there, I mean, there are real similarities between this and what you would expect in true authoritarian regimes. There's a lot of crossover. It's very concerning. It's very concerning. I mean, we're, we're entering an era of government where the government has established that you have effectively no constitutional rights that they cannot abridge because of a virus that's out there. They can abridge your, your First Amendment rights. They, they, they're already coming after your Second Amendment rights, as you know, and they're going to use the health emergency. Oh, the gun violence health crisis or something. That's going to be a part of this as well. And they're coming after all of your individual rights. They're coming after your constitutional guarantees of liberty. And they're spending money on a scale we've never seen before. And the guy in charge of this is Joe Biden, who's a moron. I mean, let's just be he's not a smart guy. He's he's a he's a B minus at best intellect. And I'm not even talking about the deterioration stuff. He was a B minus intellect 30 years ago. And the people around him, look at these advisors. I mean, they're all going to be fine. They're all going to get their consultancies and their book deals and their CNN gigs when they're done. They're wrecking the economy and they think they're good people because they're so concerned about minorities. That's what they that is their, their ultimate currency right now. In this Biden administration is how woke they are. How how minority focused all their policies are uh, and diversity focused. Everything is all the time. Meanwhile, a lot of the rest of us are just saying, how is this actually going to help 
everybody in the country, including minorities. How is this actually going to be better for the overall economy? Don't ask those questions. Focus on whether the uh, major league all-star game should be pulled out of Georgia because of a bill they're saying is Jim Crow 2.0. Don't ask any questions because then the whole thing falls apart. So, so shut up and do as you're told, peasant. This is the Democrat pitch. That's what wokeness really is. It's a cult. The vision that President Biden and the administration has laid out, you're right, has surprised a lot of us in a positive way. And in the detail and the thought that's here, this, the scope of it um, is really encouraging, except <laughs> I think the how. That $2.2 trillion, $2.25 over eight years, I have serious concerns that it's not enough to realize the very inspiring vision that Biden has advanced. And so I believe that those of us here, um, especially as progressives within the Democratic Party, we know that there is so much more opportunity here. And in order for us to realize this inspiring vision, we need to go way higher. And... There you have it. AOC, who has like a degree in uh, economicals from Boston University. So she like knows stuff. Uh, She also got a science prize in high school, in case you didn't know. She was very proud about that recently publicly. So so we have to listen to her on the science because she got a, you know, she probably built one of those volcanoes or something that you bring to the science fair. Very impressive, Miss AOC. But... Uh, she's telling you that $2 trillion is not enough for this Biden initiative. Not enough. Oh, okay. Now, so we just spent $2 trillion, and as we know, a lot of it went to things that have nothing to do with COVID, but they called it a COVID relief package. Now spending another $2 trillion is insufficient for the task at hand, which I have to say is pretty remarkable, isn't it? But it shouldn't be surprising. In case you don't know, AOC is an adherent of what's known as MMT, her, her top uh, economic advisor. I forget the guy's name, but her, the people around her. I know she has an economic advisor. Isn't that remarkable? Uh, MMT is modern monetary theory. The very basic explanation of what MMT means is it's, it's a theory that you spend whatever money you think the government should spend is spent. Whatever it is. We think we need... Five trillion dollars of of investments in infrastructure. We write, you know, the government writes the check and then you just deal with inflation as it comes. I'm serious. That is modern monetary theory. So you don't you don't have to worry. You don't have to take into account crowding out, you know, the private sector, uh, government strangling actual GDP growth and productivity by involving itself in, in things that it should have no business. No, no. Forget about all that. Whatever the government wants to spend, it should spend without limit. That's MMT. And then and then, of course, when inflation kicks in, as it inevitably will, because, you know, this is laws of supply and demand. This is pretty straightforward economics. Whenever that happens, you just say, uh, okay, well, now we're going to try to rein in that inflation. The problem with that, as you know, is that governments, once inflation starts happening, it's very challenging for governments to shut that down. But they don't worry about that. Spend today. Worry about the economic fallout tomorrow. This is a means of destroying an economy. I I want you to understand this is a means of actually truly collapsing and ruining a nation. 
if if you if you take a fiat currency and you run it all the way into insolvency into into destruction the whole country collapses i mean you you see this happening in places around the world and i know that right now it feels like oh buck come on that's that's fear-mongering she's saying two trillion dollars after we just spent two trillion dollars on top of a what three trillion dollar annual budget maybe four trillion dollars a year now for the federal government is not enough money i mean there's a reason why you know the millennials look around saying uh how exactly am I supposed to afford a house or health care or food, given the way this economy is going? Um, macroeconomic policy is one of the big problems. Harsani time. Our friend David Harsani back with us here in the mix. He is a senior writer at NationalReview.com. Read his latest there. Padma Lakshmi says, I have no business being a parent. He's got that up on NationalReview.com. David, great to have you, man. What what is Ms. Lakshmi best known for being a somewhat uh, uh, snooty uh, critic of people's culinary skills on Top Chef? What is she saying about parenting exactly? Well, she said that if you can't accept your child for who they're telling you they are, then you have no business being a parent. She's, you know, obviously talking about the trend that's going on of having young children even teenagers picking their sex and their gender and stuff like that and i mean i point out that i think that telling your kids who they are is the most important thing you do as a parent is like the whole reason if i listen to what my kids had told me you know they were they were prince princess ariel they would be jumping into the water and thinking they could swim away as mermaids you know it's not we have to mold kids and tell them who they can be and who they are rather than accepting what they tell us, who you know, what, what they dictate who they are. It's just insanity. How is it that we've moved so far so fast on this issue where what what would have been even, <clears throat> I would say, David, 10 years ago, considered by Democrats, they would say, oh, but that's not. You know, no, no one's really advocate. No one's saying you know, that's always the line, right? No one's saying we would give puberty blockers to a 10 year old who, who thinks that he or she is a different gender. We we know that. The, and here we are. No, that is what they're saying, actually. Now, right. I mean, the 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 pace of transformation at the hand, you know, on this issue in particular at the hands of the left has, has been has been breathtaking. And yet we're just supposed to assume that this is all rooted in what? I mean, it's it looks like a social fad. I mean, the, this the, the approach to parenting, the approach to how this is an affirmation of who these people really are. I mean, I don't even remember anything I said when I, I literally don't remember anything I said when I was 10 years old. But people should be making life changing decisions then. Yeah, no, it's insanity. And I don't you know, I'm pretty libertarian on, on stuff. You want to live your life. You want to be you know, you want to call you, you know, I'll call you whatever you want to be called when you're an adult. Now you're just talking about child abuse. This is child abuse. And there's no reason anyone has to accept it or pretend that it's not. Um and the reason, I mean, there's some theories on why it moves so fast, and I think I buy them. I mean, I think that once gay marriage was finished, the, you know, and that issue was basically put aside because most people now accept gay marriage. Um, you know, there was an in activist types needed another uh, issue. It's someone once called it Selma envy. You know, it's it's you know they were just have to look for issues to make civil rights issues. Um, this one is insane because it's now involving children. People are, you know, parents or kids are allowed to do this without their parents. It's just it's just insanity. So um, I, 
what bothers me most about it is that is that people are scared to speak up because of corporate culture, because they may lose their jobs, because, you know, they'll be destroyed, their reputations will be destroyed. And I just can't imagine any intelligent person who is a moral person who believes in science and who believes in logic, thinks it's okay to castrate young children. I just I just I just find it incomprehensible. Not only they do they would. think it's okay, but this has been flipped now where they believe it, it is monstrous to have any questions about it. Never mind to even stand in the way of it. But you, you're you're an evil person if you say, hold on a second, do we even know what the long-term physiological effects are of giving puberty blockers to prepubescent children? You ask this, I mean, Hollywood celebrities will treat you like you're an actual Nazi. I mean, they'll call you a Nazi if you say things like maybe giving puberty blockers to 11 or 12-year-olds. How can any rational well-functioning person not understand this is insane. I mean, Padma says uh, that your sex is merely a label initially assigned to you by a doctor at birth. Now, that is not something an intelligent person would ever say. Not a, you know, what what underlying reasons does the doctor have to assign you a sex, do you think? I mean, it, it's anti-science, and these people are supposed to be the logical, rational, scientific people. So, listen, I get that she's just a celebrity, but, she, you know, we have to remember these celebrities have millions of people following them. They can normalize behavior, and you see it being normalized, and that's what they're trying to do. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, I find it I find it incredible that it's happened so quickly. I find it incredible that anyone would believe this stuff, but it is happening and it is happening quickly and it's just getting worse. We're speaking to uh, David Harsani, NationalReview.com for his latest. I also want to ask you, David, you mentioned uh, the corporate wokeness. I mean, the the Delta CEOs come out. I mean, I, I'm, I'm amazed here because. This is not, you know, there are some areas where we're talking about voting or we're talking about a policy dispute where there's dueling characterizations about motivation or there's there's a way that you could say, well, I think that their ultimate goal is X. They say it's Y. And, you know, you're making a case on on the Georgia election law uh, situation. They're just lying about this. They're actually just lying. And saying things like it's Jim Crow 2.0, it's Joe. Joe Biden said it's Jim Crow on steroids in an interview. This is just I mean, we're, we're always told that the that the uh, social media companies are blocking falsehood. This is falsehood. I mean, they're lying about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just demagoguery in the, of the worst, worst kind. And to say, you know, it actually the very notion and it, this wording is used in almost every story in the mainstream media that it's restricting voting is itself a lie it does not restrict voting it just it's it no no more than than having a driver's license restricts driving you simply need to show photo id a lot of the parts of this bill even surprised me at how liberal they were in the sense of expanding voting opportunities you know it was not e it's not even a restriction bill in any way and for the delta ceo to talk about it being restrictive i mean he, his company i need a, i need to have a government issued id to get on a plane to get in an airport i have to wait online for hours to wait for planes for hours especially delta which is garbage company so like you know i can't even ma imagine why he would get involved in something like this what do you what do you think is motivating i mean i have different theories on this um, and I, I've shared with this audience before, I and mean, one of them is that I, and I believe that whereas there used to be the the, the standard uh, the standard paradigm here, or the, the standard situation was 
companies don't want to face boycotts. So they just will say, okay, okay, we'll just do whatever. Just let, let us let us sell our widgets. Let us sell our airline seats. Let us do what we do, and we'll put out some statement, and you know we'll do some diversity hiring or something. Or just leave it. But now I think it's actually shifted where, at least at some of these companies, people who are making decisions really do believe this stuff. I think there's been a transformation. What do you think is going on? I don't know. I think you're probably right about that. I mean, when companies chime in because there's maybe tax policy that affects them, I get it. Or there's some policy that affects them and their business, I get it. But to get involved in something like this, I would just, if I was a CEO, I'd say, don't get involved in politics. I'm not going to give you my opinion. But that's not the case anymore. And that used to be the way, and that's not the case anymore. So I don't know why, what their motivation is. I think there's, you know, I, I'm just going to say it. I mean, I, you know, you watch TV and I don't watch a lot of commercials, but when you watch sports, you know, it's live. So there are commercials, you know, every commercial is basically a, some kind of woke take, you know, sometimes it's not offensive to me at all. Like, you know, women, girls playing sports, whatever it is, I'm actually for all that stuff, but it's always some kind of lesson, you know, given by these corporate corporations about how, you know, black lives matter, whatever it is. I it's just, it's just, in, you know, Years ago, that it wasn't that way. They were just trying to sell you something. Now they're, it's just always has this sort of underlying moral lesson to you. Like Delta is going to teach me about morality <laughs> or, you know, Nike, which deals with China, is teaching me about the morality of women in sports, etc. It's just annoying already. And I don't really understand why they do it. And I wonder if it helps their sales or hurts their sales. I don't know. Speaking to David, Harsan- speaking to David Harsanyi of uh, of National Review dot com and uh you know, uh, let, let, let's come back in a second. because I got I got more I want to talk to David about. we got our friend David Harsanyi here in the mix. Nationalreview.com for his his latest piece. And you know, David, of, of all the you know, the Biden administration has totally taken it, uh, taken it as one of their mantras. Now, this the, the equal pay thing. This never seems to be an issue we could get past. We get it never goes away. Doesn't matter how much people misrepresented and lie. They've got this woman from uh, women's soccer, uh, Rapino, I think is how you say it, Rapino, Rapino. Um, she's on the women's national team, and she goes around now, and she's a big advocate for equal pay. And, of course, in this context, it's male athletes make more money, generally speaking, in their sports than female athletes do. But looking at the disparity in pay as somehow inherently justified, I mean, you know, I, I do radio. I do not make $100 million a year like Howard Stern reportedly does. And and there are a lot of reasons why people would say, well, you know, he makes $100 million a year for the following reasons. Uh, or, you know, there's a lot of justification people come up with for that. But it seems to me like they're just saying, well, I don't we, we don't make as much as these other people do doing the same thing. So we should make the same. I mean, this is like the logic of a child. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's not first of all, it's not the same thing. It's the same thing. You'd have, you know, the same audience right now. Of course, you have a very big audience and you're very talented, Buck, but <laughs> I appreciate if, I'm not making a hundred million dollars a year, though, is the point. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you have I play, let's say I play basketball just like, you know, LeBron. <laughs> this doesn't we're not doing the same thing, even if I was in some B League or even if I was in the NBA, you know, with scoring four points a game. So if a woman soccer player is doing the same thing as a male soccer player, then she should play with the men. But the women's team was beaten by the 16 year old, 16 year olds of the U.S. national, you know, U.S. team. So 
they're not doing the same thing and they don't have the same audience. I can't even believe anyone watches women's soccer or regular soccer, frankly, but it is not the same thing. Soccer is not the same thing as basketball or baseball. Just like hockey, my favorite sport is not the same thing. Players make less because they don't have the same audience. I mean, it's just we're going to have to deal with this forever. But the, the logic of it, make, you know, it just doesn't there is no logic to it. Yeah, well, this is, I don't understand how it's it's not even they're not even making a good argument. I mean, it's, it's a very obvious and weak case that's being made here. And and, you know, there are metrics that that one looks at for this kind of stuff. I mean, how many people watch women's soccer? How many people watch? I was going to say, watching women, I mean, I actually, I mean, David, don't tell anybody, I actually do watch professional soccer occasionally in the international leagues, and and women's soccer is not something I will watch because it moves at about the speed of a men's standard high school game. Like, that's just the way it is. Now, people can want to watch that, and some do, and that's fine, but there's not the same audience as there is for, you know, Manchester United or something like this, you know, a billion-dollar sports franchise. There's a reason it's a billion-dollar sports franchise. But Biden and all the rest of them, it just seems like they're they're so comfortable in the shameless demagoguery that it doesn't matter. That no matter how flimsy the argument is, they, they'll just continue to make it because they, they want to. Right. I mean, it's just filled with platitudes like women can do all things men can do. Trust me, I have daughters. Women can do a lot of things. They do different things better and they do some other things not as well. And when it comes to physical feats, women sometimes don't aren't the same as, as most men on average. I'm not saying there aren't any women out there who couldn't do it, but on, you know, on the whole, that's just not how it is. Now, just like you mentioned, I don't have interest in watching women's soccer or women's hockey or women's basketball, really. But, you know, other like I like women's tennis. I think women are more interesting to watch than men's tennis for whatever reason. So, you know, it's just how it is. It's just, you know, I think most people realize that we can't have equality in everything because biology sometimes tells us we can't. It's not to say women don't do things better than men. Some things way, better I, than I, men. I'm a big do. tennis player slash tennis watcher. Let's put that out there. And I, I agree with you that a lot of the time women's tennis is more enjoyable to watch. And it's largely because there's, in my opinion, there's less of a reliance on on just the first serve as the as the difference yeah. maker. And so if you're a, a recreational player, Watching the women play, the tactics, strategy, pace of the ball, you actually can learn a lot more and and identify a lot more with it because recreational players like the men, uh, or rather, uh, as opposed to what you see with on the men's side, are not hitting 130 mile an hour serves. See, again, we can have this conversation and it's all very clear and obvious, but it just feels like there's a lot of a lot of nonsense going on and it never it never goes away. It's it's like what is it a zombie lie? They say it's a lie that you can never get rid of. The equal pay myth. But uh, but one more thing I wanted to talk to you about, David. It's just the the scope of the spending. And I, I, we could sit here and talk about the and we're speaking to David Harsanyi of NationalReview.com. Uh, the, the scope of the spending. We could discuss how The New York Times is essentially running like ads for the Biden plan on the front page. I mean, you know, we see this all over the place, but I did not want to get into that. I just at, at what point is it clear to people or does it ever become clear to Democrats that this actually, when you're spending trillions of dollars, it has ramifications beyond just giving money to people you like. <laughs> I don't know is the is the answer to that. And, you know, I heard a theory recently and I forget who said it or I give them credit. But the problem they say, and I agree, is that the abstract abstractness of, of trillion, for instance, is lost on people. Because if you said this costs two million dollars, it's something that a person can actually understand. Two million is a lot of money. A trillion 
after like a hundred million or a billion, everything's basically the same to you. A trillion and a billion is just, you know, a lot, right? A, a gazillion. So maybe it needs to be broken down more for people that you're paying this amount of money for this project or this amount of money for that one. Of course, Democrats avoid that by pretending like their COVID bill is about COVID and their infrastructure bill is about infrastructure, which it's not. And uh, I don't think Republicans have made a strong enough case to point out exactly the kind of spending that's going on and where it's going. And they're not making a compelling case for stopping this sort of thing. Now, I, I don't know how people are going to react. I think at some point people are like, all right, we've spent enough. But I mean, God, you know, and, and Republicans are guilty as well. During Trump years, Trump did it as well. Not to this extent, though. I mean, and now, you know, but it, it never ends. And uh yeah, Biden said the other day that uh, if we don't pass this, the deficit will go up and it doesn't even make sense. But he just says it and no one, you know, very rarely is he fact checked or anything. It's amazing that that Joe Biden is uh, the, the person that we were told in 2020 was going to to heal the country, unite us, bring us together and and build and build a stronger economy for everybody. I mean, it's just all slogans. The guy has no vision, no nothing. This is we, we are getting the third Obama term. I think I think people are starting to see that now. Yeah, except worse, sort of amped up Obama. And Biden's been one of the worst actors in D.C. for a long time. He has no principles. He will take whatever. He's always at the center of whatever he thinks the Democratic Party is. He you know, the, the idea that he is some sort of I mean, he said Mitt Romney was going to put black people back into chains. I mean, this is not the person that he's supposedly or thinks of himself or how the media frames it. I mean, he's just he's always been just a fabulous, a, a liar, I'm, you know, and, and not very bright. He's never been very bright. And that's just how it is. Everyone's known to this until five minutes ago, too. I mean, the Democrats even knew this. Yeah. And we're all supposed I mean, to forget. He's he he ran for president, what, three times. And I think I think he won like one delegate in all three in one state. You know, I mean, he was not he won because there was pandemic because there was a downturn because he ran against Donald Trump because Bernie Sanders was the best other candidate. History has been very nice to him uh, and he's president It is what it is. But the idea that he's going to bring America together. I mean, anyone who's ever read of anything about him knows that's not true. David Arsani, nationalreview.com for his latest. Everybody check out what David's writing on there. Mr. Arsani, always a pleasure, sir. Stay safe. Uh, stay safe down in D.C. You too. Thank you. It's pretty amazing to watch how the media has so openly picked sides uh, in, in a way that they can't leave any doubt anymore to anyone who's paying attention. You can see that what they're doing is meant to change the future of this country, change minds, change our change uh, our ability to speak about things and to really just annihilate conservatism. I mean, that's the ultimate goal now. It's not just to show us all how good they are at governance and then we'll come over to their side. It's no, you're not allowed to really be a conservative anymore. That's increasingly the the uh, the the clear attitude. It may have always been there, but now it's even more apparent than it was in the past. And you see this from what's going on with the with the internet these days, and the way that the social media companies, in particular, are taking action against people. I just had a friend who got uh, suspended from Facebook for thirty days. Got to even do anything. And he uses that for his business. I mean, he uses Facebook to promote his business. Now he's, well, what's he supposed to do? Just because he's a conservative. That's the problem. And the internet never forgets this stuff either. Once you're on the radar of these social media companies, you don't, you don't know what they're doing with that data. They know where you're going, who you're communicating with. You want privacy online. That's why I urge you 
to get ExpressVPN. Everything you search for, watch, or click online can be tracked by big tech companies. They can match your activity to your true identity when using your device's unique IP address. When I switch on ExpressVPN with my computer or phone, my IP address is masked by a secure VPN server, which makes it harder for websites to identify me. The ExpressVPN app also encrypts my network data to protect my sensitive information from being compromised. Plus, you can use ExpressVPN on up to five devices simultaneously so multiple users on your network can stay safe with a single subscription. What I like most is how easy it is to use. It takes one click and you protect all your devices. It's so easy. You need to have this. You gotta have ExpressVPN on your devices right now. Stop handing over your data to the big uh, big tech companies and trusting them with it. Go with the VPN that I trust for online protection. ExpressVPN.com slash buck to get three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. All right, just go to expressvpn.com slash buck right now, and you'll set this up, and you'll realize you have to have this on your phone, on all your electronic devices. The unprecedented attacks on the press in this period, I'm sure, will fill plenty of books and be studied in classrooms, maybe even here. But I have a few early observations I'll share about where this moment brings us and what we can learn. Number one is, I think it's become clearer that fairness is overrated. Well, before you run off and tweet that headline, let me explain a bit. The idea that we should always give two sides equal weight and merit does not reflect the world we find ourselves in. That the sun sets in the West is a fact. Any contrary view does not deserve our time or attention. Now, I know recent events assure that you won't have to look far to find more current and relevant examples. I think you get my point. Decisions to not give unsupported arguments equal time are not a dereliction of journalistic responsibility or some kind of agenda. In fact, it's just the opposite. Providing an open platform for misinformation, for anyone to come say whatever they want, especially when issues of public health and safety are at stake, can be quite dangerous. Our duty is to be fair to the truth. Holding those in power accountable is at the core of our function and responsibility. We need to hear our leaders' views, their policies and reasoning. It's really important. But we have to stand ready to push back and call out falsehoods. So here we have, and I wanted you to hear that whole statement, Lester Holt. I mean, this guy is at the, at the top of the TV journo game. I mean, if you're talking about the absolute top of the TV journal, you know, uh, pyramid, you have Lester, ABC News, World News Tonight, ABC News. You know, this is this is a a job, a coveted job. He's probably making uh, close to 10 million dollars a year, something like that. And maybe a lot more than that. I don't even know. And this is supposed to be, you know, they still have very large audiences. I mean, they're still. Very, um, I'm sorry, NBC News, NBC News, uh, whatever. I <laughs> see it doesn't even doesn't even matter. Say everything I said was true. Everything producer marks like it's actually NBC, whatever. ABC, NBC, CBS. It's all the same thing. The, these are places that are coasting. They're legacy media institutions that are coasting on what they were previously uh, considered to be. And they still have because they have this advantage of being on basic cable and, 
you know, and they're they're part of large, powerful corporations. So they have very big budgets and everything else. Uh, this is the absolute pinnacle. This is the pinnacle of TV journalism. And yet notice what this that this guy Holt is saying. And he's not somebody that's known for being especially political. He's not somebody that you think of as, you know, uh, a bomb thrower on TV. But he's taking this point of view, too, that, yeah, of course, we're not going to present both sides because there's true and there's false. Now, this is bringing you into the mindset of the of the modern American journalist in a way that you should pay very close attention to, because they'll talk about, for example, what's going on with this pandemic. Um, do, do they how, how do they know, you know, what is what is necessarily a good argument and not a good argument when it comes to policy when there's so many different uh, so many different studies and analyses and competing theories out there? But somehow they think they always know. They always favor one position over another. They favor the Fauciite approach to this, even though Fauci, by his own admission, has been very wrong on some things. In fact, by his own admission, he lied to the American people. He lied about masks. Uh, this is what he says, because he didn't want there to be a run on masks, and then we wouldn't have them as we need them for people who are in uh, the frontline health care roles, right? That's, you know, fairness is overrated is the quote that he uses here. And what's funny is that what he's trying to say is that, well, of course, we're not fair, as fair to truth as we are to falsehood. But this is all self-fulfilling nonsense. I mean, this is all bullcrap. Because what they do is always take a point of view that whatever they want to be true is the truth and the other side is the lie. Right. Whatever the contrary opinion to their opinion is, well, that's just that's just the falsehood. You see, that's why we're taking this approach They're They're trying to create a cover for their political partisanship by claiming that this is just what CNN does, too, by the way. You know, Apple versus banana. Remember that with CNN? This is an apple. This is a banana. Th that's not where the issue is. The problem with CNN, the problem with NBC, ABC, all the rest of them is that they pretend opinion is fact and fact is opinion. And you see this with the so-called fact checkers online, too. I mean, they they will fact check things like me saying and they did this to me. I said that the that it is entirely reasonable for people to not mask outdoors because the, the risk of masking outside is very low. And then they'll, they'll put some. You know, some expert who will come out and say, no, that's not true. It is possible to get COVID outdoors. I, said, I didn't say it's not possible. I said it's not enough of a risk that we should have policies that make people wear masks outside by themselves because it's dumb. And anybody who thinks about it for a minute knows it's dumb. But see, they they treat it as, oh, an expert disagrees with you. Therefore, you're wrong and they're right. Experts are wrong about a lot of things. Experts have made all kinds of mistakes, continue to make all kinds of mistakes. And yet people cling to this fiction in the media that all they're doing is, is separating fact from fiction. That's not what they're doing. And we can all see it, but not going to be fair to all points of view. OK, well, we see where they're drawing the lines and they're being unfair constantly. They're always favoring one side of the ideological spectrum. You know, the the part of the brain that makes people liberals 
whatever that whatever that part of the brain determines on different things, that's what they favor every time because that's who they are. And, you know, leftism and the authoritarianism that is inherent in so many of, of its actions, uh, you see this in the fact that they can't abide alternative uh, opinions. You see this because when they when leftists get into an institution, they completely take over. It's like an infection that takes over the host entirely. And and that then becomes, you know, they they overrun the body of the host. And then it's actually just a, a vessel for that mentality, for that infectious idea, if you will. Right. Uh, I think our friend God Saad calls it idea pathogens. Leftism is an idea pathogen that once it's set, once it sets up inside of an institution or an organization, it seeks to overtake the entire thing and there can be no room for anything else. And that's just it's that's in its essential nature, because ultimately leftism is a belief that 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 one should be able to achieve whatever power one desires because it's rooted in the creation of a utopian society. That all problems can be fixed if only the left is in charge. That's if you're talking about leftism as a religious creed, which in many ways it it mimics one. That's the central. That's the the first commandment is whatever power the left needs, it should have because it will fix all problems and make everything better. Now history shows us that that's not true, but that's also central right now. I mean, when I say it's not true, I know that's just a, a huge understatement. But that's also very central to the ideas we have around COVID and lockdowns and government health policy at this stage. You know, this is why you keep having Dr. Fauci out there telling everybody um, that the, the real issue here is that we're letting up. We're letting up. Now is not the time to pull back and declare victory. Here, play 14. So now is just not the time to pull back and declare premature victory. It's just not the time. Hang in there a bit longer. We're going to get through this. As more people get vaccinated, there's going to be a greater umbrella of protection over society. That's why we're saying over and over again, just hang on, continue to do the public health measures, and then we could pull back later. When do we pull back, Fauci? This is a really important question. When do we get to pull back? We never really get answers on this. You see, they're playing a game here with you because they'll tell you, oh, even if you've been infected like me, I've now beat COVID. I've, I've now I'm, a, I'm somebody who has recovered from COVID. Even if you beat it, you still have to go through all these measures right away. If I were to try to walk into a store right now and I showed them my positive COVID test from, you know, uh, two weeks ago. Um, and I, I showed them my positive COVID test, and then I said to them, actually, it was less than that now. It would have been about eight, uh, whatever it was, eight days ago. Um, and I said, okay, I'm good. Now, I probably wouldn't do that right now because I may still have some residual virus for another day or two. I got to get past the 10-day quarantine. But let's say next week I go in, I try to show them my my positive COVID test, and I say, see, guys, I've and, and, and I show up with a negative COVID test in hand. See, guys, I'm negative. It was I was positive. I'm good. I, I can't infect anybody. They'd say, put on your mask anyway. Because we say so. Because that's the mentality. Because it'll make people feel better. It's not actually about their safety. It'll make them feel better. Oh, okay. 
A lot of things would make me feel better, but I don't expect people to do them all the time. Uh, but Fauci, the way they also get around this is by saying, even if you've been vaccinated, you have to keep doing these things because the vaccines are not perfect. There are still some cases of reinfection. They always leave out the reinfections are almost always also very mild, milder than the first infection and incredibly rare. But there are some. So they say, see, it's sorry, it's not perfect. They, they create this false standard of because it's not perfect, you can't actually have your uh, your freedom back. But that's not the way anything else works. I mean, no one ever said that it was supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to be good enough and it is good enough. But they don't want to relinquish the control. So they say, no, you you can still get infected. Therefore, it doesn't matter. And I sit here and I say, but they're telling us in the same in the same conversation. Oh, at some point, we'll be able to pull back on the measures, as Fauci calls. We'll be able to pull back on that public health measures. To which I say, well, are you then just going to make the determination for society when it's safe enough? Because. First of all, based on what they're saying right now, that's not going to be this year at all. You're wearing a mask for the rest of the year. You're wearing a mask deep into next year. If, if Unless people finally wake up and understand that this is not actually helpful the way they say it is, that these policies haven't worked the way they promised, and that this is madness, we're going to be doing this for another year at least. Another year at least. Probably into, I think I've been saying this all along, um, but we'll go into next summer. So you're looking at, let's call it uh, 15 to 16 months of mitigation measures, the public health measures, which have worked so well, right, which have been such a, a great success. Explain Texas to us, Fauci. He can't. Texas, mandate gone, cases down. New York, mandate for masks still in place, cases going up. Why? Fauci has no idea. It doesn't even pretend to have it. It doesn't, it doesn't even really care. It doesn't even really matter. You know why? Because the guy's a little political hack and has been all along. I don't think you could just come out and say this guy's lying. I don't know how good that would have been. But I certainly clashed with the president. You know that. Uh, he, we had a considerable amount of stress and tension between us when I spoke out against him with hydroxychloroquine when he said, that, uh, you know, this is going to end tomorrow. It's going to go away. And I said, no, it's not just going to go away. There are a lot of things that we did that was contradictory to him, which, you know, obviously caused a lot of stress and strain. But I just want to put that behind us and look ahead. Should have fired that little little pain in the ass right away. Should have fired him. And it's not because of him speaking out against the president. That's fine. It's because the guy's been a disaster. He's been a disaster. Dr. Fauci is the reason Joe Biden won the election. I hope everybody sees that. Dr. Fauci was the, the little, uh, you know, symbol of Trump is the bad guy in the pandemic and Fauci and the Democrats are the good guy. Fauci's the reason that uh, Trump, I mean, the, the, I shouldn't say the reason. There are many reasons that this went the way it did. Um, the pandemic certainly happening in the first place was a big part of this, but Fauci was very helpful to making sure that uh, Trump lost to Joe Biden. He was a big part of it, a big piece of it. And that's why he's treated like such a hero now. And from his perspective, by the way, it's a great move. He, he's always he'll always be revered, even when 
And mark my words, they will eventually be able to really crunch the data, look at the numbers and show that mask mandates were a giant waste of everybody's time. It'll happen. It'll happen probably not for a few years. You know, it'll take a few years for people to finally be able to look at this. And and then they'll act like, oh, well, you know, it's still not really settled and we don't know. But you'll see in a few years. It was all and, and, and Fauci, it doesn't matter what we find out later. It doesn't matter how many suicides there were, how much how many drug overdoses, how much economic misery and devastation was done to the country unnecessarily from lockdowns. The, the disease was going to cause a lot of misery on its own. No question about it. And I've had it and I know. But the, the, the Fauci I'd approach to this, he's he's a hero forever. He's a hero forever. And it doesn't matter what the to the left, I mean, to the Democrats. It doesn't matter what the eventual analysis of this shows and, and what the truth of the whole situation is. Um, but I I really wish that uh, that we had gotten gotten rid of Fauci early on. I think it would have really changed things. Burks never really was, I, I think, because she seemed a little too just kind of cold. Uh, you know, Burks was never uh, held up in quite the same way that Fauci was, you know. Wearing her fancy Chanel scarf and sounding, you know, a little kind of wishy-washy on a lot of this stuff. Look, because what's the public health establishment going to tell you? What's the what's the CDC and the uh, the NIH and the you know what, what are they really going to say to you? There's a terrible virus that's ripping through the country. It's going to end up infecting about half of you, no matter what we do, and we can't stop it. And half a million people are going to die. They're never they were never going to say that. And that's what has happened, by the way. I mean, I know they say that there are what 30 million cases uh, confirmed in the country. That's clearly low. Um, There's there's definitely more than 30 million cases in America. Um, But let's say it's even a third of the country. They were never going to say 30 percent of you are going to get this disease and half a million people are going to die no matter what. So good luck. That was really the truth from what we've seen, from what we've actually experienced. And yet they won't say that ever, of course, because then you'd ask, what the heck are we listening to these people for? Why, why do they why are they in charge of anything? To tell us to wash our hands, to tell us where to stand in the elevator. OK, its capacity with covid constraints is 250 people. There are over 4,000 people crammed in into Donna. They're not six feet apart or three feet apart. They're not even six inches apart. You had children side by side lying on the floor. There are no beds. There are no cots. There are no mats lying on the floor, covered up in emergency reflective blankets. And and 10 percent of the population there is testing positive for COVID. It it is a humanitarian disaster and crisis, and it's man-made. Joe Biden caused this with political decisions made in the opening weeks of this administration. The border's basically open. Don't forget it. Don't let them avoid this basic truth. Don't let them uh, cover it up or dismiss it. Border's basically open. We actually just found out today that there's an increasingly large number of people who are showing up at the border and are not even being processed for the court date to show up and and uh, make their asylum claim. They're just being released and they're supposed to show up at some later date for some degree of processing, you know, TBD. I mean, it's stunning what's happening at the southern border. And I'm going down there in a few weeks to see it myself. I was going to go this uh, well next week, but it turns out I 
pretty I, I've got a little ways to go here. The one thing about COVID that really uh, that really sticks around uh, lingers is the fatigue part of it, which is I've been reading about it. So you have the the cytokine storm, which is the terrible thing that happens to people. It causes it's the immune response, the immune overreaction. Um, and and if it involves the lungs and the lung tissue, uh, that's what's been so deadly for so many people, uh, particularly older people with weakened immune systems. But even if you're successful in fighting off this virus, it, it, you release all these cytokines and it, there's a, it's an inflammatory response. So there's inflammation in the body. So that's why, I mean, I had back pain like, like it was crazy. Um, but your body goes through this. And it's like your body internally has been through this antivirus war. And then it kind of drags on for a bit. Any of you who have had the flu know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the same idea, same kind of feeling. You know, even when you you can hear me today, my voice is pretty much back. Uh, I sound pretty normal, but, you know, I, I put new sheets on my bed and it was it was like winding, winding me. You know, I was like, oh, God, this is tough <laughs> because you get really tired because your body has been through all this and, and the energy stores. It's fascinating. Science doesn't really know that much about this and how, you know, they know your body will recuperate and recover. But but the actual processes, they don't know a lot. Of, just like they don't know a lot about the laws of smell and taste that people have uh, that that comes up. So that's another thing that I've been struggling with a little bit. But it's look, I'm thankful to be on the on the other side of this. But anyway, um, I'm going to go down to the border and see myself as much of this as I can, um, because I, I know that the Biden team is is lying to us about this. I mean, that's you can take that as a given. That's very obvious. The Biden administration is not being truthful. That's why they've been think about this. They were hiding this as long as they could. And then finally, the pressure rose to the point where they had to allow some access to journalists to see what's really going on. And, you know, they're telling us that this is this is uh, being handled well, no, it's being handled very poorly. And it shows you another instance. And I know I tell you hypocrisy doesn't matter, but it doesn't mean we can't talk about it. Just they're not going to change. What, I, what I'm telling you with that is that Democrats, when I say that hypocrisy doesn't bother them, what, what I'm saying is that you can call them hypocrites all day. They're going to keep doing exactly what they do. You know, it's like it's like calling somebody who's cheating in a card game a cheat as they're getting away with it and taking your money. Well, if they're still getting away with it, guess what? <laughs> they don't care. So, uh, yes, they're hypocrites because during the Trump administration, I, I remember there were uh, there, there were all these people who were so outraged about the kids in cages and how terrible it all was. And as we know, Trump wasn't an advocate in any way for illegal crossing. He was a reason that there had been far fewer illegal crossings early on in his presidency. But then there was this there's this loophole and it's people showing up and saying that they're uh, that they qualify for asylum. And once this got out there, it became the preferred way to, to jump to the front of the immigration line and to game our immigration system. And that's what has been going on. And now we're seeing stuff that's just the, the Democrats can't cover for Biden anymore the way they would hope to. I mean, they're still trying to cover for him. But you have a little girl drowning in the Rio Grande. I mean, things like this are happening. You're saying, what is going on here? People are losing their lives because of the incentive structure. I think it's uh, Charlie Munger, who is the number two to Warren Buffett 
once said, uh, you know, you show me the incentive, I'll show you the result. And it's that that's that's exactly what's going on here. The incentive structure put forward around our immigration system by the Biden team, by their vision of immigration overall, makes it really appealing, makes it a very appealing circumstance to um, come to the border right now and claim asylum and go through this whole process. That's what's that's what's actually happening. Um, and this is why you might have seen there's this video out there as well of a, I think it's two kids, very young kids under the age of 10 who are being held by a smuggler on top of an actual border wall section and then dropped over it and just left there. And that's now for a lot of people becoming a visual of what's going on. I mean, the cartels are making money, bringing people to the border, dropping them off and, and, and they control this area. And remember, those kids might have traveled all the way from Honduras. So they've been in cartel custody for a long time. And God knows what's, I mean, terrible things are happening going on as a result of that. So this is the part of the Biden administration so far that they have been unable, unable to um, get a grip on with their public messaging because it's so bad, it's so completely out of control uh, that it's just it's impossible to to really hide this. It's impossible to make people feel like it's not something that's showing a a real weakness here, a real challenge uh, that the Biden team is is just simply not up for for handling. Um, so yes, it's a, it's a humanitarian crisis brought on by the Biden team. But what what do they want you focused on? Oh, how they're going to change everything with this massive infrastructure bill. Um, oh, oh, or, or shiny objects like canceling student, student loan debt. Here's Elizabeth Warren talking about that. Play 18. I hear from folks who say, but I don't have student loan debt. Why should I care about this? And the answer is you should care because for every young person who's not starting a business, for every young person who's not buying a home, that's holding back the economy, and that affects every single one of us. So if you've got student loan debt, you love this plan. President Biden can cancel $50,000 worth of student loan debt. But if you don't have student loan debt, you'll love this plan. Because this is about lifting up everyone, about closing racial wealth gaps, and about creating more opportunity for the entire economy. Oh, gosh, you know, yeah. Oh, here, here's what's going on. Elizabeth Warren wants you to know that, oh, oh, golly, gosh, if we take this money and and we just give it to the certain people, they're going to have money to spend on other things, which is good for you. Is that really how it works, though? No, no, let, let's just let's just take her at her word for a second here that. Yeah, only the people that have student loan debt will directly, directly benefit from this. But she's trying to say that there's a, uh, I don't know, you could call it a trickle down or a trickle across effect here of saying, well, people won't have these debts, so then they'll spend money on other things. So why not get rid of everybody? Why not just say everyone with uh, $15,000 of credit card debt gets that erased? Wouldn't Can you make the exact same? In fact, I think it's, in some ways, it's an even stronger case we make because a lot of people are are in credit card debt paying for groceries, you know, paying for visits to the doctor, for gas for their cars, for groceries, for clothing on their they put on their backs and their children's. 
So why not there? Wouldn't that have the same effect? No, they're they're picking a favored constituency here and they're trying because we know that, you know, the people that are going to be largely benefiting from from this, uh, from the fifty thousand dollar removal of student loan debt are, are folks who have gotten often not very valuable degrees, but got a degree of some kind or started to get a degree of some kind. And there's a a likelihood that those individuals will be Democrat voters and they'll be bought off with all this. But I, I think it's fascinating to listen to Elizabeth Warren explain to you how even if you don't have any student loan debt, this is going to be great for you because now people will have they, they won't have this debt and so they'll spend money. OK, even if we accept that basic premise, well, that's true of all debt. Why isn't why not just erase uh, up to one hundred thousand dollars of mortgage debt for people that would free up a lot of cash? Why not just give everybody $100,000 in their bank account right now? Everyone gets 100 grand. There'd be a lot more money sloshing around, right? There'd be a lot more liquidity. People would say that would certainly stimulate uh, buying in the economy, wouldn't it? So you start to say, but you know that that's a problem at some level. Why is it a problem? You know, you, you have to take it to these very basic, these very fundamental places to understand the flaw in the Democrats' approach. Because otherwise, it's just, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, sure. You know, wave away that debt, take control of that industry, shift money in that way. And you never actually get to what's the downside of it. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, right? Cause and effect, supply and demand. Democrats reject these things. They believe that with their government policies and with their vision of the future, vision of the economy, they can actually come up with ways to make these uh, these not just rules, these truths about things like supply and demand, things like money supply and what that does, uh, make them irrelevant. It doesn't matter. They've got better ideas, better plans. You know, I'm, I'm spending a fair amount of time these days uh, diving into some books about the Soviet Union because I think it's there are some fascinating parallels between what we see going on, the ideas, the mentality of the progressive left in this country and and Bolsheviks. And I'll just say that I, I think that there are some very similar uh, approaches. I, I understand there are also some differences, but there are some very similar approaches. I mean, for one, the the absolutism of their beliefs and and the, the notion of a counter revolutionary, which really right now is very similar to somebody being, you know, anti woke uh, or somebody being called a a white supremacist that's just a catch-all smear destroy a person you don't have to identify any actual white supremacist behavior or thoughts just call them white supremacists in the soviet union you called someone a counter-revolutionary anything could be done to them because nothing could have been more important than the than the october revolution and the bolshevik takeover of the soviet union and remember the bolsheviks were about one percent of the of what became the soviet union's population Bolsheviks were a tiny minority group. People don't really know this because they don't actually teach the history of the Russian and then Soviet revolution at all in school. I mean, they skip past it. It gets very little attention. But you look at this and you see there's a similarity in the absolutism of their mentality. There's also similarity with their their idea that they can design from a, a conference room in in the Kremlin in this case, the Politburo, 
uh, and really actually just the general secretary of of the Communist Party, who was Stalin, uh, they, they thought they could design an economy that would function so much better. And this is what happened in, in the 19, late 1920s, early 1930s of the Soviet Union. You had uh, Stalin's, uh, they, they had the new economic program, which Stalin was actually never really that on board for. But the new economic program was, well, they came out of World War I in the 1920s. They needed to increase production. They realized that allowing the market to function at some level, at the local level in particular, uh, would be better off for everybody. But then eventually they decided, you know what, forget it. We know, we know better than people. Here's how much grain you need to produce. Here's how much industrial output you need to do. We're smart. We know what to do. And if you have a problem with this, you're a counter-revolutionary. And this led to famine and millions of people dying and, you know, all kinds of atrocities. No surprise. But that mentality of we're smart, we know what to do. We'll, we'll spend your money better. We'll spend your, your labor better, actually. The fruits of your labors, we'll take them and do, a better thing, do better things with them than you will. Who does that remind you of? It's done in the Soviet Union. What, what, that mentality, I'm not saying it's the same, but I do think it's similar to the Democrat Party right now. But right now, I mean, I don't want to be the scold. I do not want to be the, 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 the you know, so the, 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 the America, the United States doesn't want to be the voice uh, that's uh, always calling us to account on the science. But we're here because of science. This is not politics. This is not ideology. This is not some political goal. This is not a pet project of one or two or three countries. This is a reality that the scientists for years have been telling us. And Mother Earth, the planet, is screaming at us with the feedback loops that are telling us every single day, get this done. Mother Earth is screaming at us, John Kerry says. I'm pretty sure Mother Earth is not screaming at us. But I think that the, what would we say, the anthropomorphism here of, uh, of turning the earth itself into, a, into like a character, you know? I, I've talked about this before, how they, they worship the earth. I mean, that climate change alarmism is a religious belief for people who think they're too smart for religion. I mean, they actually have started to take up some of the, the uh, approaches, some of the way that people in, in particularly earlier, you know, civilizations, more, more uh, primitive civilizations, religious beliefs about, you know, worshiping the sun or worshiping the moon or whatever, I mean, the climate change alarmists start to sound more like this. Start to sound uh, more like this is, you know, their their approach to things. And that's because it is. That's because they, this is a religious belief for them. They think that this is their, the reason for humanity now is the salvation of the planet through the reduction of CO2 emissions. This is nuts. And they don't, really believe it enough to take individual action usually to change uh, to change anything but it's a mechanism of endless control and endless meddling in your life and John Kerry is a he is the perfect just like Al Gore that that bombastic buffoon was before him John Kerry is the perfect spokesperson for this you know elite uh, climate change belief system perfect for it flies around this guy's very rich because he you know married rich ladies twice and he flies around spending you know money made by other men and uh in private jets and now he wants to lecture everybody about 
how we're going to save the planet. I mean, none of you listening to this are really worried about the planet disappearing or melting or overheating or whatever. Um, But they're absolutely devoted to this idea. And now we have to spend four years when he says things like the science. What does that mean? The science says what? That there's a huge divergence in the actual predictions about what's going to happen based on CO2 emissions over the next 50 years. And this is an enormously complicated, really, chaos system, and they can't tell what's going to happen, but they want to control every aspect of your life based upon it? I I say no. I say that sounds like a bad deal to me. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. Producer Mark, I saw something as I was reading in today, doing my my news uh, deep dive that um, that there is a fellow who plays the sport of baseball who will be joining your New York Mets and who will be paid over the course of his contract $340 million. Yes. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts here. One of them is I really should have learned to throw a baseball really well when I was like three. Yeah, same. I agree with that. So who is this fellow and what's going on? Uh, his name is Francisco Lindor. He's one of the top 10 players in baseball. He plays shortstop. Uh, the Mets traded for him uh, this offseason from the Cleveland, in- oh, excuse me, the Cleveland baseball team. They used to be called the Indians. They will be changing that soon. Um, and the Mets signed that he had one year left on his contract, so they gave him a total of 11 years, $360 million if you include this contract, like his one-year contract. That's uh, yeah. that's a uh, a lot of a lot of hot dogs and RC colas. I'm so excited, Buck. This is the yeah. first time in my this is he's probably the best position player the Mets have had in my lifetime. How important is it to have a really good shortstop versus other field positions? Um, shortstop is usually the leader of the infield. He's the one who you know does the positioning, and usually your star is at shortstop. He's your best fielder. Gotcha. Okay. Because yeah, I always thought the outfield to me, the you know, from the limited baseball I played as a as a young buck, uh, you know, the outfield positions, you those guys have to move really fast, have to throw really far, but Yeah, but I mean, have you ever tried to field a ground ball hit off a major league bat? No, that not sounds easy. like something I would not want to do. Even exactly. with one of those uh, cups and a, and I would even I would even do it with a with a face guard or whatever on, it still wouldn't be good. Yeah, they always tell you, "Don't be afraid of the ball, or you'll get hit." No, you can still get hit even if you're not afraid of it. To think, Buck, that the pitchers are sixty feet away with zero protection. I've always thought that was amazing to me because I have seen in in, in blooper reels and things where a line drive will just get teed oh, off yeah. on a, on a pitcher, you know, r- right off him. I mean that that's got to that's got to hurt. A pitcher recently broke bones in his face. Because of it. And there's been a lot of talks of maybe, you know, pitchers should be wearing helmets at least. You know, you don't want somebody to potentially die. I mean, you could die from that. A uh, base coach, you know, the guys who stand on the sides and tell the runners whether to go or not. Yep. A base coach in the minors passed away from getting hit in the head with a line drive. And ever since then, they've worn helmets. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. But it makes perfect sense when you think about it. I mean, that ball... If a baseball is coming at you 100 miles an hour, hits you in the head, and it probably comes off the bat faster than 100 miles an hour, I would think. It can, yeah. Yeah. Oof, oof. 
Well, anyway, I'm glad your team, though. Uh, I'm glad Mr. Lindor is not going to have any any problems feeding his family anytime soon. So that's very nice for him. Generational wealth, for sure. But the bummer came after that. What's that? Well, today's opening day for 28 other teams, unfortunately. As the Mets were going to play the Washington Nationals tonight, and uh, the Nationals have a couple cases of COVID, so the game was postponed. Big bummer for me. I was so I, I woke up with a pep in my step. I was excited, and there's no game today. Uh, sorry, sorry yeah. to hear that. But at least you got a super player because it turns out yeah. having a New York billionaire own the New York Mets is a good thing. It is. I am uh, quite happy to be a Mets fan, which is not something I could say for the prior 27 years of my life. Are they are they looking like they might be a contender? Pretty much based on what's going on already. Oh, for sure, they're a, they're a World Series contender. There's usually like you know five or so. They're one of them. Wow! Look well. at that, everybody. So for the rest of the folks across the country, I hope your baseball teams are great too. And uh, you know, it'll be nice for everyone to have baseball back. Maybe I'll start watching some baseball because one thing I feel like there's a certain um, it's a relaxed sport to watch. You know, it is. You can sort of sit there, have it on, kind of just, uh, you know, you got it on in the background. So This is the first time a real season starting in a long time. Last year they only played 60 games. They normally play 162. So uh, the fact that we have a normal opening day in April, very happy. Let's get a roll call here. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to email us, please do send us your roll call thoughts. Make sure that you give us reviews for the Apple podcast of the Buck Sexton show. Remember, you can listen on the iHeartRadio app as well to our podcasts. And uh, there you go. Um, Marcus writes in, uh, Producer Mark and Buck, when you come to Austin, definitely arrange a beer summit for podcast listeners. Maybe we can convince you to abandon NYC for the relative freedom of Texas Hill Country. Plus, what you pay in rent in one year would cover about four years of mortgage payments in Texas. Shields high. By the way, I have passed the buck to my brother, my mom, and several friends. When mom and I go on road trips, we mostly listen to your podcast, pause regularly to discuss it, then continue listening. Sure makes the miles go by fast. Well, Marcus, that is awesome, man. Thank you so much. Passing the buck is the single most helpful, best thing you can do for the uh, Buck Sexton Show. So that and also, of course... Uh, being a patron of our sponsors, um, patronizing our sponsors, buying stuff from our sponsors. Um, but those are the two ways that you really help us stay on the air and grow as a show. And uh, tell your brother, your mom, and, and your friends uh, that uh, it's an honor to have them as part of Team Buck. As for Austin, so I, I'm, I'm hoping to get down to Austin. I know I've been saying that for a while, but I'm planning to be there now The because I'm going to have some state capital interviews at the end of my border trip, which will be in three weeks. So assuming I get down there as planned, I'm just going to tell you guys beforehand, hey, Team Buck, I'm going to uh, I'm going to be in Austin and maybe I'll just say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to find out whatever the best barbecue place in Austin is. And I'll probably just post up there and anybody who wants to come by and say hi, I'll be hanging out in Austin because I've always wanted to see our KLBJ fam in person. Uh, we've had this great station in Austin, Texas for years now, been carrying us KLBJ Austin. And then I know because producer Mark, the problem is once I do the once I do the barbecue summit for KLBJ Austin and, you know, it'll just be me saying hi to the folks. It won't be I'm not going to make the station have to do anything for this. I'm just going to show up and anybody who listens can come hang out and I'll, you know, 
I'd say I buy the first round, but I don't know if like a hundred people show up, that's going to be a lot of first round. But you know, let's the first ten people, their first round would be on me, um, and uh, the, but then I got to do it for you know Freedom ninety three seven in Denver, and uh, I got to do it for our our KFMB in uh, in San Diego, and I got to do it for uh, our stations WFLA in Tampa and WIOD in Miami and. WCBM in Baltimore, and you know, producer Mark is. I gotta have a lot of, a lot of barbecue summits. I gotta get going. You I'm know? gonna have to rent a tour bus. You know, it's gonna be a lot. So, and I'm gonna have to get even bigger pants with bigger drawstrings on them after eating all the barbecue. Because turns out barbecue, when I eat the amount of barbecue that I want, which is always a lot, it is not. It is not uh, diet healthy. You know. You can put away enough brisket, and all of a sudden you realize it's kind of a diet buster. Yeah, certainly not helping in your uh, quest to lose weight. Yeah, yeah. And, and you put the barbecue sauce is amazing. Unfortunately, barbecue sauce has a fair amount of sugar. So I actually found an amazing barbecue sauce that's sugar-free, and you wouldn't know. Really? If you didn't read the label. It's called G. Hughes. Huh. The whole brand, yeah. But they, do they use one of those artificial sweeteners, though? Honestly, I'm not sure. I didn't oh, okay. look too far into it, but everyone I loves it because it's zero sugar. Yeah, zero sugar. There you go. Tom writes in, I hit 10 years as an NYPD cop next year. I've had a good career. I've decided to vest retire in August 2022. Bill de Blasio is getting rid of good cops. This isn't going to end well for the city. I can't fathom why this is being celebrated. This isn't reform. This is giving criminals an advantage. Well, Tom, man, I'm so sorry that, you know, my my hometown is losing another good NYPD officer early here. And I, I know that this is happening to a lot of folks, but I get it. You know, if you hit your 10, especially if you've already hit your 20. But even if you hit your 10, people say, I'm just going to go do something else now. You know, I've sort of served. I've done my thing and, you know, take the pension that you've got at that point, And then you, you roll on. I mean, I'm sorry to hear this, but I understand why. If you don't have the backing of politicians and you're a cop in a city like New York, you know, it's it's a, it's not only is it the risk of feeling like at any point in time you could be, uh, you know, you could be undermined in a really high profile incident by you know political leadership. But you're, there's also the lack of appreciation. And I totally understand that. You know, and I feel that. I, look, I, I felt that a little bit. The CIA, as soon as we're, we ra- were wrapping up the Iraq war, basically, the Obama administration came in and the Obama administration was full of all these people that thought they were so much smarter on national security than they actually were, uh, including Barack Obama himself. But uh, all the all these Obama senior advisors on national security uh, thought they were so uh, well versed and so brilliant on these things. And they were really I mean, the Obama administration foreign policy was just moronic uh, on so many in so many ways, on so many issues. And, you know, after a while, what I'm going to I'm going to keep working at the CIA so I can produce, you know, analysis and assessments and, and provide this to the policymaker, in this case, Obama and his team. And so they can ignore it and do what they think is better because of what Tom, Fre- Tom Friedman writes in the New York Times editorial page. No, thank you. I'm going to go do something else. So I, I understand that feeling when you feel like you've done it and you know, there's a lack of support, a lack of appreciation. You want to move on. So as much as I want, I want good cops everywhere. And I certainly want good cops here in New York because I rely on them to you know, keep my city, my family, my hometown safe. 
Uh, I get it, Tom. But thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoy it, and uh, I hope uh, you know you continue to listen to us even after you retire. And spread the word, please, to some of your fellow NYPD folks. Uh, tell them that this is this look this is the best this is the best podcast on politics they could listen to. They want to know a lot, and they want to have a real deep dive into it all the time. This is what they should be listening to every day. You can tell them I said so. Thanks, Tom. Greg, hey, Buck, I just had a thought that maybe this Democrat majority is a blessing in disguise so that the majority of Americans, of normal Americans, will finally see how crazy they are now and will never vote that way again. I think the Democrats going full out right now is going to be their downfall. What do you say, good man? Shields high. Um... Greg, I see what you're saying. I like the optimism. I don't think it's going to necessarily work out that way. Um, now you're right. Now you're right. As in, a year from now, Americans will feel very. When I say Americans, like a thirty percent are leftists. They don't. You know, if if we cratered the economy and we had hyperinflation kick in, there'd still be thirty percent of Americans that say AOC is brilliant and I love Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer's great and you know they, they nothing would change. Doesn't matter. They they'd blame Trump for hyperinflation. Trust me, it doesn't matter. Thirty percent of them you're you're wasting your time. But you know, there's that twenty percent that we need to come to our side on some things, maybe even ten percent, five percent we need to come to our side on some things. And yeah, I think they'd realize that the Democrat plans are bad and this is a waste and everything else. But there's going to be a whole fight over it because the media is going to say that it's better than it is. Or if it's so bad, they can't say that the economy or the policies are good. They'll blame Trump. I mean, I've, I've been saying this all along. I think you'll be able to set your alarm clock to the Democrats right around October, September, October. They're going to start saying, oh, you know, we inherited a weak economy from Trump. That's the problem that Biden's had. They, he inherited a weak economy. And you'd say, oh, come on, that's so, that's so blatant. They're such shameless frauds. Yeah, they are. But they're shameless frauds who are running the country right now. Lying often works, friends. Don't forget that. Lying, embracing hypocrisy, uh, acting in bad faith can be very effective. Just look at the Democrat Party. More roll call to uh, get us through here on our Thursday show. Carla. Hello, Buck. I want to take the time to truly thank you for all you do. Your integrity, transparency, and loyalty are qualities that are of utmost importance, in my opinion. I truly wish more people in our country possessed those same qualities. They sure seem to be lacking so many these days, unfortunately. My husband and I listen to your show every day. If you decide to move to Florida, we sure would love to meet you one day. Governor DeSantis is the best, and I'm so very thankful for him. Producer Mark, thank you as well. I'm originally from Indiana and will always be a Colts fan, even though I live in Florida. You two were talking about that not long ago. Keep being awesome, you two. Shield time, my friends. Um, yeah, Producer Mark, you know, he respects the Colts. I think uh, she was referring to our discussion that if I moved to Florida, I wouldn't become a Marlins fan. I would still be a Mets fan. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You're correct. You're correct. No, no, I, I, you couldn't you couldn't switch like that, could you? I don't no. know. I mean, the Mets are part of my blood. Yeah, yeah. but Carla, Carla gets it. She, she understands. She understands. Um, and thank you so much for listening. And tell your husband, we really, I really appreciate him listening. We appreciate him listening. And uh, your kind words are very, uh, very much appreciated. Because, you know, it's it's uh, it's not easy being a conservative these days. And, you know, conservatives don't really, I don't know, they don't really stand up for each other. 
Uh, conservatives and media, we don't, we, a lot of them don't really take care of each other. There's a lot of jealousy, a lot of bitterness among conservatives and media, actually, believe it or not. Um, you know, they don't really stand up and, uh, and, and say nice things about each other for the most part. You know, there's just, uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's a little disappointing sometimes. You'll notice the left will close ranks around one of their own in media and they'll defend them to the hilt and the whole thing. On the right, a lot of conservatives, they watch another conservative get into trouble. They think, yeah, less competition for me. That's that's the attitude. Michael, Arizona Governor Ducey ended the mask mandate here. I went to Ace Hardware today. They had a sign on the door saying mask by choice. About half the customers and workers didn't have a mask on. Nobody's saying anything. Well, Michael, that's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I if there were mask by choice signs in other places, I can assure you I would not be um, masking. So, yeah, I, I would take that off as... It'll be a it'll be a, a really happy day when I don't have to go through this idiocy of masking up because people are all so scared because it's really thing protecting. I mean, it just it'll be such a good day. We can finally stop the nonsense. You know, if masks work so well, great. Wear a mask and you should be fine. OK, if it only works because it, if you need two people to wear it, clearly it's not that effective. We got a whole other problem. Right. But they won't admit that because they're they're just. It's really, you have to understand, all, so much of the mitigation stuff has turned into there are other people that aren't wholeheartedly into this, and so they're the reason for all these bad COVID things. That's the mentality. That's the way that this is viewed by the mask maniacs and the lockdowners and all the rest of it. So, you know, they're going to they're gonna be people wearing masks uh, for the next two years. I can assure you of that. There will be people that wear masks for the next two years all the time, and for the next five to ten years, probably some of the time. All right, we got a great show planned already for you tomorrow, so make sure you join us then. Shields high.